chapter eight. Halmini takes me into her bedroom and I curl up under the covers with her. In the dark, I scan the room. On her nightstand, as usual, framed pictures of me and mom and Sam. Also on her nightstand, new, a row of tiny orange pill bottles, a whole family of them. Before I can ask about them, she says, I stole stories. I suck in air trying to understand, but it's a little hard. My grandmother stole stories from magical tigers. Not a whole lot of that makes sense. How do you steal a story? I ask. Halmini is quiet for so long that I think maybe she's changed her mind about telling me, but she's just waiting, building suspense, and she takes my hand, traces my lifeline with her fingertips. She used to do this when I was little to soothe me during the scary parts of her stories. Those stories come from a time before, long, long ago, when Tiger walked like man. I nudge closer to her, heart humming at the magic words. Those stories come from a time when the night is black, only darkness. And in the darkness, a princess lives in the castle in the sky. The princess is very lonely, so she whispers stories into the night. And those stories become stars. When Halmany told us to reach up and grab a story from the sky, I always thought it was just a fun game. I never thought she meant it literally. The stars are made of stories? Yes, yes. Now listen. She shushes me and continues. The sky princess tells so many stories that the sky fill with light. No more darkness anywhere. And the people on earth down in the villages, they so happy. No more night. I look out the window at the inky black and I shiver. No more night. Story magic was so bright and powerful that, of course, tigers want it. They go to the very top of the highest mountain, surround themselves with stars, and guard the sky. Halmini continues, and humans love those stories, too. But I don't like some of the stories stars tell. Some of those stories, they are dangerous. Some stories too dangerous to tell. I pause. How can a story be dangerous? Halmini wraps her arms tight around me. Sometimes they make people feel bad and act bad. Some of those stories make me feel sad and small. I bite my lip. The stories Halmini always told us had happy endings. They were about clever girls and loving families and warrior princesses who saved the day. I hear my Halmini cry when she tell me sad stories, our Korean history. She says, I see my neighbors get scared, my friends get angry, and I think, why do we have to hear bad stories? Isn't it better if bad stories just go away? I swallow. That makes sense, I think. So one quiet night, I take jars from my house, and I carry them up the mountain, tracking those tigers all the way to the caves. I am the littlest girl in the littlest village, and I am sneaky. I hide outside the caves and wait until the tigers fall asleep, until their snores echo through the land. And then I get to work, grabbing the stars, the bad stories, in my fists, stuffing them into jars. It's another thing that seems impossible, but maybe the world is bigger than I thought. Maybe there's room for disappearing tigers and captured stars. You stole the stars, I say. Not all, but yes. I wonder what it would feel like to hold stars in my hands. They would just crumble like dust or shatter like glass. If 
they'd burn fierce and hot and sharp and cold. Hominy continues, I sealed jars up. Then I tiptoe away from cave, so soft, hush, hush. Before I leave, I think, I'd be extra safe. I make sure they don't follow. So I take rocks from the forest one by one, and I stack them at the mouth of the cave until they make a big wall, big, heavy wall, until the tigers are trapped inside. I shudder, imagining the tigers clawing on the other side. I think, no more bad stories, no more. I never want to hear them again. So I run away, away from my little village, across the ocean, across the world, to a new place where I am safe from sadness. Hominy's voice starts to fade as she gets sleepier. I steal the stars and I lock them away. How did you know? I ask as I press my warm toes against her cold ones. How did you know you'd be okay? I don't, but I believe in me. When you believe... That is you being brave. Sometimes believing is the bravest thing of all. So everything turned out fine. How many never talked much about how she came to the United States from Korea. And I never thought to ask. She was quiet for so long that I think maybe she fell asleep. Then she says, nothing lasts forever, Lily. Tigers break free. The tigers, very angry. Now they're coming for me. From the living room, I hear a creak and I tense, but it's probably just mom shifting in her sleep. Hominy presses her lips to my head and her words blur together and she falls into dreams. They're hunting me now. They don't stop hunting. Chapter nine. My dreams are filled with tigers. When I wake up the next morning, I lie next to my sleeping Hominy, thinking about her story. Questions thunder through my mind. What stories did she steal? I'm curious, and part of me wants to hear them, even if they are dangerous. But I have more important questions like, did I really see a tiger? If so, I'm pretty sure it was the one that's hunting Halmony. We have to do something about that. We can't just wait. We need to protect ourselves. There's no chance I'm falling back asleep. So I slide out of bed and pad out of her room into the living room. The clouds block the sun outside and paint the house gray and the living room is so silent that I'm surprised to find mom sitting on the couch. She's turned silently away from me, body curled around a half full mug of coffee. The steam dances and floats up to kiss her face, but she doesn't notice. I realize it's been a long time since I've seen mom, so still, she's always moving. Right now, I feel like I've captured a precious moment. I want to take it and hold it close to my heart. She's staring out the living room window but there's nothing to see except the vague outlines of trees and a few houses in the distance. I step toward her, and the floorboards yelp. She flinches. Hot coffee sloshes in her mug, threatening to spill over. Lily, you scared me. You're so quiet, always sneaking up on me. Oh, I say. It's not like I meant to sneak up on her. Sorry. She just smiles. How are you? How did you sleep? That's too complicated to answer, so I nod in response. And I guess a nod is good enough for mom because she doesn't push it. She plunks her mug on the coffee table as she stands, and when she does, I notice she's dressed nicely in a button-down shirt and work pants. Are you hungry? She asks. No, I say. What are you wearing? I've got a job interview this morning, she explains as she clatters around the kitchen. We've only been here for one night. 
Most moms would want to settle in and unpack, but of course, my mom's already got an interview lined up. She works as an accountant back in California, and she worked a lot. But I have time to make you something, Mom continues. You really should eat. How about some leftover rice cakes? No, thanks, I say. I was actually wondering about... You sure? She asks. They're really good, heated up. Did I ever tell you that Hominy used to sell her rice cakes when we first moved here? Everybody loved them. I stepped forward. Really? Mom rarely talks about when she was a kid. What about tea? Would you like some tea? I can get you some. Mom opens the cabinet and then stops, hovering in the air. Right. Hominy moved the mugs to the other side. It was different before. She grabs a mug from its new home and starts making a cup of tea, even though I don't really want one. I don't like tea. Mom, I say, hesitating, trying to sound as casual as possible. Did Hominy ever tell you stories when you were little? Stories that seemed impossible? Mom frowns. Oh, I don't know. Maybe. But I was never really a big reader like you. I like to go outside and play, so I didn't really have patience for stories. Oh, I get a feeling that happens sometimes, like something's wrong with me, but I push it aside. But did she tell you stories about her childhood and stuff? Mom's eyes get far away, like when she was staring out the window. She never talked about her time in Korea much. I know she grew up poor in a rural village miles away from Seoul. I know she lived alone with her own Halmony. I know her mom moved to the States when she was very little. Halmony tried to find her when she moved out here herself when I was just a baby, but I don't think she ever did. I meant more alike, except how do I explain this? Did you ever find stars in, in jars? Did tigers ever chase you? Never mind. Mom takes a breath and plasters a smile on her face. Anyway, you should meet some kids in the neighborhood. I have some high school friends with kids your age. I can set up a play date. Mom does this when she wants to change the subject. Just abruptly switches topics and acts like we were talking about it the whole time. They don't bother explaining that play dates expired like three years ago. But, and I don't explain how hard it is to make friends. Some people, friends just stick to them, like Sam. Even though she's mean sometimes, she always has a cloud of people around her. She has an infinite text to respond to. But I've never been a sticky person. I've had a few friends, a group of girls I hung out for with for a while. Sam said they were also QAGs, quiet Asian girls like me. But eventually, they just floated away. They were never mean or anything, but they just forgot to invite me to things. Like, they forgot I existed. They didn't stick. And I guess that's okay. That's just my invisibility. I'm heading to my interview now, Mom says, but you should get out of the house. Get some fresh air. Maybe go to the library? You might meet some reader kids there. You love libraries. I like libraries, I guess, but I don't know where she got the idea that I love them, especially when I used to hate the one across the street. When I was little, I would refuse to enter it. I'd sit on the step while Mom and Sam went, and I'd wait for them to bring me picture books. Mom didn't understand why I was so afraid, because the library looks like a cute little cottage placed right in front of the forest. The door and the window frames were painted in bright, colorful patterns. But I told her, it looks like the gingerbread house from Hansel and Gretel. I guess she's forgotten about that. A flash of annoyance flares up at me, but I shove it down. Yeah, okay. 
Mom looks relieved. That's great, Lily. You're the best. Have I told you you're the best? She sets the tea in front of me and ruffles my hair. Have fun at the library, okay? She leaves, slamming the front door behind her, and I sip the tea that I don't really want. It burns my tongue and tastes like earth, but it sends fire down my throat and wakes me up. And I'm angry, because sometimes it's like she has this whole other Lily in her head, an almost me that doesn't really match the real me. I don't like tea. I don't love libraries. And what if I'm not the best? How would she know? It's not like she's paying attention. I get up to pour the tea down the sink and the swirl of brown water thrills me. It feels so reckless and wasteful, but in a good way. I drop the mug in after that, only with too much force, and the mug cracks. For a moment, I stare at the crack and something opens inside me, something big and gaping, a black hole that's a little too scary to look into. As quickly as it came, my anger leaks away, and I don't know what got into me. I take the mug and bury it in the trash, all the way to the bottom of the bin where nobody will find it. And when I change, then I change into my jeans and a striped t-shirt, and I braid my hair without bothering to brush it. I pull on my raincoat and head across the street to the library. I'm not a little girl anymore. I'm not afraid of Hansel and Gretel, and I'm not afraid of fairy tales. And I don't think I'll find any reader kids there, but... Maybe I'll do some research. If a tiger is hunting my grandmother, I'll find a way to protect us. Chapter 10. The steps leading up to the library are lined with cracks, and the windows are tinted, and the roof sags just a little, like it's tired. It's hard to imagine this is the same gingerbread library that I was afraid of as a kid. All that magic has faded. When I reach the doors, I tug once, then again, and just when I'm wondering whether it's locked, the building finally lets me in. Inside, it smells like mildew, but it's warm. An older man sitting at the front desk holds up, looks up from an ancient computer. Thin wired frame glasses perch on his nose and a thick white mustache twitches between his pink cheeks. If he weren't frowning so hard, he might look like Santa Claus. May I help you? He asks in a way that says he doesn't really want to help me. He crosses his arms over his chest, wrinkling his cable-knit sweater. So, no evil witch, but a grumpy Santa is pretty close. Um, I'm okay, I tell him. I'm just looking. He stares at me, and I'm not sure what to do. And for a second, I wonder if I'm not allowed in the library. But that's ridiculous. It's a library. Do you have a card? He asks. I'm not sure what he means at first. Oh, right, a library card. Um, no? I step up to the desk, even though he kind of scares me. His bushy eyebrows knit together, and he seems to be waiting for something. But I'm not sure what he needs. I'm Lily, I tell him. Lily Reeves. My how, my grandma lives across the street, and I just moved in with her. His eyebrows quirk up, and he nods once, in what might be approval. He's still frowning, but less so. Ah, oh, you're a cheese granddaughter, he com confirms. I'll put your card under her account. I thank him as he types my information on his clacky keyboard. Good woman, he says after a few moments. Shocked to this town's system when she moved here, that's for sure. But I owe her. And Joan, your mother, followed her everywhere. Oh, I say. I'm not sure why he owes her. I'm not sure about mom following Halmony everywhere. I try to picture that, but I can't do it. We're just too different. 
He scans a red library card and hands it to me. Goodbye, then. Oh, I repeat, taking the card and slipping it into my pocket. Um, actually, I'm wondering if you have any books about tigers? He frowns, moving to the computer. Is this a summer school project or personal interest? Personal, my mouth says it like a question. He grunts. Not very often kids these days use the library. They think you can find everything on the web. Yeah, I say, because I'm not sure how else to respond. I'm guessing most kids these days don't have a magical tiger that's hunting their grandma. Because I don't think googling magic magical evil tiger would get very good results. Somebody groans behind me, and I turn to see a girl about Sam's age with medium brown skin, freckles, and curly hair, pushing an empty library cart. Joe, are you really kids these daysing this poor girl? I'm not wrong, the librarian Joe says. The girl shakes her head at Joe and sticks her hand out to me. Hello, welcome to Sunbeam's world-famous library. I'm Jensen. When I shake her hand, her grip is strong and warm. The freckles, the splatter of freckles across her cheekbones seem to dance as she smiles. How many always says freckles are lucky? This is Jensen, Joe adds unnecessarily. She's my employee. Jensen laughs. What an eloquent introduction. Now that you know all there is to know about me, what's your name? Lily, I tell her. She smiles. Well, Lily, nice to meet you. Have you been here before? I shake my head, and her smile grows even wider. Cool. Honestly, most people in this town probably haven't. We're looking for ways to drum up some life in this place. Remind people that we're here and such, but, well, who knows? She shrugs, then leans over Joe's desk to read his computer screen. Tigers? Cool. Come with me. I can give you a tour and show you the wildlife section. Joe turn returns to his computer, and I follow Jensen through the stack of books. Spoiler alert, the library is pretty sparse, so the tour won't last very long, she laughs. This girl is quick to smile and quicker to laugh. As we weave through the aisles, I'm reminded of Halmini's basement. Before she moved all the boxes and cabinets upstairs, they used to form a maze of memories, and I breathe in. Jensen turns to me. Are you new in town? I tell her I moved in with Halmini, and she grins. I know your grandma. Everybody loves her. Really? She tilts her head, looking a bit confused. Yeah, of course. She's like super nice and interesting and she's always wearing the best clothes. I feel a rush of pride because of course everybody loves Halmini. They should love Halmini. But at the same time, weirdly, my chest tightens. I don't know anything about Halmini's life in Sunbeam. Aside from my early years here, I've only known her in California. And in California, she was there just for us. She was ours. The jealousy that bubbles up startles me, just like my anger at mom this morning, and I don't like it. These are feelings I shouldn't be feeling. I refocus on Jensen, who keeps talking. I tutor middle school language arts, so if you're ever looking for help, let me know. My voice scratches when I speak, like it always does when I talk to strangers. Yeah, okay, thank you. The tour ends with a small room in the back of the library. Inside, I see a mini refrigerator, a cupboard, two chairs, and the back door of the library. On the wall the by the door is a faded poster of a cat hanging from a tree with the words, Hang in there, written in white bubble letters. I don't know who put that up, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't Joe.